Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's Justin Duncan. I'm John Hodge. Today, we're discussing Willie Jefferson getting bum-rushed by Ryder fans in Saskatchewan. Lucky Whitehead, the Flash, re-signing with the BC Lions. Former Riders receiver Braden Lenius inking a deal with the Atlanta Falcons. Nick Arbuckle getting some guaranteed cashish from the Elks. And Henry Burris's desire to become an NFL head coach. But first, Bolivai Mitchell redid his contract with the Calgary Stampeders, receiving a $100,000 signing bonus to take his overall cap hit down by $40,000. The club also re signed up and coming pivot Jake Mayer to a new deal. Dunkster, please tell us how all of this worked out in Stampland. Essentially, it started with John Huffnagel negotiating a bargain rate contract with Jake Mayer for $120,000 in hard money, which was surprising to me in one regard that if Mayer would have hit the open market, I talked to some people around the league, they felt like he could have gotten at least $250,000 in hard money, maybe even more because there were multiple teams outside of Calgary that would have coveted him. But when you look at Mayor's situation, the fact that he could go back to Calgary and now is actually going back to the Stampeders and learn from John Hoffnagel, Dave Dickinson, and Bo Levi Mitchell, that that could benefit him more in the future and potentially he could recoup that earning that he lost with a bigger contract down the line. Now he goes essentially up $40,000 in hard money Bolivar Mitchell comes down $40,000, but getting that $100,000 signing bonus sort of offsets that money for Mitchell. And really, it was about Huffnagel wanting to keep both the present and the franchise quarterback still in Calgary and also the potential future in Mayor there. So you just shift a little bit of money around. Mitchell clearly wants to show that he can 
get it done with the Calgary Stampeders again, perhaps go after another Grey Cup. That's certainly going to be his goal. And Mayer realizes that that could potentially be for him the best quarterback development place in the league. Yeah, this was really shrewd. I thought from the Stamps' perspective, they did have the security of Bolivar Mitchell being under contract already for 2022. However, they did not have that with Jake Mayer. And as you said, I'm not surprised to hear there was lots of interest from around the league on him because though the sample size was small, he did play so well when Bolivar Mitchell was out due to injury. So to me, I think that this worked out really well for Calgary. They get both of their quarterbacks back and it's unlikely, I think, that they'll be able to repeat that come 2023, but at least after this upcoming season, they're going to have a much better read on how healthy Bolivar Mitchell is because between the leg and the shoulder, he did not look like himself in 2021, and they're also going to have a better idea of, okay, how real is Jake Mayer? Is Jake Mayer you know, a flash in the pan, as we've seen some quarterbacks, you know, be in the past, or is he the real deal? So I think this is shrewd for Calgary. You get both of them back and you can kind of delay this this franchise altering decision by a year when you're going to have a lot better information to make that very important decision. It should be said they might have an idea how real Mayer is because what happens, and this is entirely possible, if Bolivar Mitchell comes back, is fully healthy, plays all 18 games or does what he's used to doing in Calgary and gets them locked into first place in the West Division early. Maybe Merrick gets a couple games down the stretch. But Bolivar Mitchell's realizing here that he needs to have a bounce-back season. And he was willing to take the pay cut to sort of acknowledge that 2021 wasn't up to his level. Like Leading the league with 13 interceptions is not the Bolivar Mitchell that we're used to seeing in the past. So I don't necessarily think we'll get an answer because if Mitchell plays all of those games, then it's going to be him who gets rewarded with the contract and Mayer might just be stuck holding the clipboard for the majority of the season. That said, it gives Calgary an entire year with Mayer to fully develop him in practice and behind the scenes and in meetings and really see if they believe if he can be the guy after the year. But if Mitchell bounces back, wins a great cup, claims the MOP trophy, then that would be hard to go away from because we've got to remember, Mitchell's still relatively young in quarterback terms. That is true. And at the end of the day, I mean, we don't know what we're going to see from Bolivar Mitchell come 2022. And and look, at, at the end of the day, we, we've also, we have to remember, we're living in a world where it's established that even pending free agent quarterbacks are worth a decent amount on the trade market. So if you're the Stampeders and you're look, you know, after 2022, you've decided that Bo's the guy. Well, you can trade Jake Mayer away just as they did with Nick Arbuckle and still get a good return. And the, the opposite's also true. If you decide Jake Mayer is the guy, I'm willing to bet there's going to be a team out there willing to trade a big asset or several assets to get the exclusive exclusive negotiating rights with Bolivar Mitchell. So to me, it's a win-win for the Stamps. As we record, Mitchell's 31 years old. His birthday is March 3rd, so he'll be 32. Like, in my mind, he still has a long runway here. I'm not saying he's Tom Brady, but Tom Brady's playing at a high level in his mid-40s, okay? I think Mitchell has that kind of ability if he can find a way to stay healthier going forward. All right, moving on to your neck of the woods, Mr. Hodge. Willie Jefferson told the media... 
in Winnipeg that he and his young family used to get, quote, bum-rushed, close quote. That's what Jefferson said, not me, don't shoot the messenger, in Saskatchewan. But he's pleased that fans in Winnipeg show a little more patience when seeking autographs or pictures. Is that a fair statement? Well, I mean, I can't speak to the extent to which Willie and his family you know, received attention in Regina, but we do know, and, and Rod Peterson talked about this show on, on his show after my article came out on Three Down, you know, r- riders are, are such popular figures. They, those guys almost have like legendary local status, right, in Saskatchewan, which is a good thing. It's good that CFL players can reach that level of fame, can reach that level of notoriety in the town of Regina. That being said, you know, Jefferson and his wife, Holly, had their daughter in, I believe it was April of 2018. So going into his last season in Regina, and COVID has changed this, obviously, to a certain extent because we're all going out less and and limiting our contacts. But, you know, back in 2018, he talked about, you know, he'd be trying to deal with his wife, deal with his daughter, make sure everything's ready to roll if they were out at the grocery store, movie theater, whatever. And um, he, he would have people... You know, coming up and really inserting themselves into situations, you know, that were just not helpful. And and I should also note that Willie talked about this essentially unprompted. He was asked, "What was it about Winnipeg that you like?" And he brought up Saskatchewan on his own. And he did not say anything truly scathing about Ryder fans. All he said was fans in Winnipeg love asking for pictures and autographs, which I love doing because he loves taking pictures and autographs with fans because obviously pro athletes are nothing unless they've got a huge set of fans willing to buy tickets and merch and all that, this, that, and the other thing. All he said was fans in Winnipeg are a lot more patient. They'll wait until I'm done dealing with, you know, my daughter, whatever the situation is that, that, that I'm out with my family. They'll wait, and then I can go give them 100% of my attention, my focus, rather than trying to get you know the stroller and the diaper bag and everything together, and there's people right up on you. And to use the term that he uses, is he called that bum rushing, which I guess is a, maybe that's a Texas thing. I'd never heard that before, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm ignorant. But that's what he said, and I think it's valid, because obviously Willie Jefferson is a megastar, but you always got to respect people when they're out, especially with their families. Jefferson's entitled to his opinion. I mean, obviously, the green and white backers are probably going to get their backs up with this when he says something like that. But Jefferson's entitled to his opinion in this regard, just like anybody else. And yes, you mentioned it, Hodge. The riders in that market are local stars almost instantly when you sign with that team and when you become a starter and then when you rise up the ranks like Jefferson was able to do and become one of the best defensive players in the league while he was there. And people are going to want to seek you out as much as possible because they might think in their head, hey, I don't know if I'll ever see him again. Like, what are the chances of bumping into him again, even in a smaller city like Regina or somewhere on the prairie? So I get it from his perspective. He's entitled to his opinion. And clearly, Winnipeg has been working well for him because since he left Saskatchewan, he's won (laughs) back-to-back Grey Cups. As much as the Ryder fans don't want to hear it, those are the facts. Those are the facts, and and Jefferson, you know, I, I, he's he's a big personality, but he's never, through my experiences before or since getting to Winnipeg, ever come across to me as a prima donna. He's not come across as a whiner. This was a rare instance where, 
you know, he expressed his his thought. He expressed his opinion. As you said, he's entitled to his opinion. And that would still be true if he was a prima donna or a whiner. But I don't think he's either of those things. I think he was just illustrating, this is why I love Winnipeg. I'm still a star in Winnipeg, but... You know, there, there's maybe just a little bit more of a uh, a respect level from fans where where they're not maybe as entitled to my time uh, to to kind of you know not to put words in his mouth, but to kind of paraphrase what it was that he said. And I'm glad that he said it because I think at the end of the day, you know, and this this isn't even just an athletics conversation. This is just a, a conversation about you know fame, whatever. You know. It, we need to still look at these people as people, right? Even if it's somebody you idolize, whether they're an athlete, a, a musician, a celebrity of some kind, doesn't matter. These are still human beings. They're still people. And and I think as a society, we just need to remember that sometimes. It's easy to put them on a pedestal and forget that they are human beings, forget that they have the same wants, needs, desires, fears, whatever that the rest of us do. But we have to make sure that we're respectful of them, their families, and their time. So I'm glad that Willie said what he said, and I'm glad that we're having a conversation about it as a, a CFL community, because you're right. There are a lot of Ryder fans who have had plenty of conversation about Mr. Jefferson's comments. All right. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking about Lucky Whitehead re-signing with the BC Lions. Welcome back to the Three Down Nation podcast. He's Justin Dunk. I'm John Hodge. Lucky Whitehead re-signed with the BC Lions. Reggie Bagleton re-signed with the Calgary Stampeders. And AC Leonard re-signed with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this past week. Between the three signings, Dunkster, I want to know which is the biggest one and why. It's an easy one for me, man. Ace Boogie going back to Sask. And I'm a former Canadian University quarterback, and I love me some high-end receivers. And there's no doubt Lucky Whitehead and Reggie Begleton are among the elite in the Canadian Football League. But Leonard is the straw that stirs that drink in Saskatchewan. He led the league in sacks, even though he missed a couple games because he elected not to pee in the cup. Now, I don't want to get into that whole conversation. But to me, in a year where Saskatchewan's hosting the Grey Cup, they needed to have this dude back on defense because of what he does. And yes, you look at his sack numbers overall and what he was able to do in terms of legitimately taking down the quarterback himself. But... What he also does is push the quarterback in ways to help out other guys so they can get sacks, right? He draws a lot of attention as well. So Jonathan Woodard, a rookie defensive lineman for the Riders, had 10 sacks. And in my mind, that's a number that's almost more impressive to me than Leonard's 11 on the season in 11 games. It's great. He led the league. He shows he can get there. But... What Leonard is doing in Saskatchewan, in my mind, is turning into, potentially, the next Charleston Hughes, where whoever played across from Hughes, you could almost pencil them in for a double-digit amount of sacks. So I'm not taking anything away from Woodard, but I think a lot of those sacks came from Leonard forcing the quarterback away from his side and Woodard cleaning it up, right? We see it a lot. It's kind of what happened with Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat a little bit, although I think they're more balanced in terms of how they affect the passer. But for me, 
It's Leonard by a long shot, even though all three of those guys you mentioned in that question are high caliber. I love your answer, Dunkster, um, but I, I'm, I'm going to go elsewhere. I'm going to go with Lucky Whitehead and BC, and there's there's really two big reasons why. One of them is on field. You know, Brian Burnham's getting a little bit longer in the tooth. I'm not suggesting that he's not still a good player, but that offense needs firepower. That team needs firepower. And Lucky Whitehead was talking in his media availability on Monday about how he not only wants to better his numbers in the receiving game he also wants to be more active on special teams certainly on punt return and if i'm a bc lions fan i'm getting really excited about that because we saw how much of a game breaker he could be in winnipeg in 2019 we saw it again in 2021 to an even greater extent in bc he's working super hard in the offseason with his four american bullies back home in the united states uh, I can't remember their names all, but he's got Bellatrix, he's got Basil, they all, they all got B names, which is hilarious. Uh, but anyways, the other reason is off the field, the BC Lions, you know, they need some star power. Michael Riley may or may not be back. He's been the face of that franchise for the last couple of years. If he moves on, you know, if I'm if I'm in marketing, let's say for the BC Lions, I'm looking for, OK, who can we put on the face of a billboard? Because we know Amar Dolman is planning to put the money where his mouth is and promote the you know what out of this team. Lucky Whitehead gives them an exciting player they can sell to the fans, regardless of who's under under center uh, in 2022. And do you want to make personnel decisions about marketing? No, but I think I think the personnel decision stands on its own and the marketing is gravy because if Riley's not back, what better player to give your new quarterback, whether it's Nathan Rourke or somebody else, than a guy who can stretch the field better than anybody in Canada because he set off that offense in 2021. Man, it doesn't matter who's that quarterback. Lucky Whitehead's on the field. He makes you better. And Hodge, I got to go back. And take a little look, and we got to discuss this a little bit, because if you could imagine what Whitehead and how he was used in BC would have looked like on that Winnipeg offense when for years there was talk there about, oh, we can't find receiving talent. Well, Whitehead was there, and then Kenny Lawler emerges in 2021 to lead the league in receiving yards. But if Whitehead was used that way in Paul Apolise's offense they would have been even more unstoppable than they already were in 2019. Let's just all remember that for a second. I think for my money, Whitehead is the most explosive playmaker in the CFL right now. It'll be interesting to see how much they do actually use him on special teams because he's probably going to play like almost every snap on offense. And I think we'd be remiss a little bit if we didn't talk about Reggie Begleton and his potential impact with the Stampeders. It's clear that Boliavai Mitchell trusts him 100%, whether he's single covered, double covered, sometimes even triple covered. He believes that when the football's going Begleton's way, that he's going to come down with it. So Begleton takes a below market deal around $165,000 in hard money to go back to Calgary, but it's a scenario he's familiar with. I'm sure he's wanting to count on that playoff check to recoup some of that money. And I really think it's a perfect fit for him to be back with Bolivai Mitchell. There's a lot for that to be said in terms of the quarterback receiver rapport. 
In a story you broke, Mr. Hodge, former Saskatchewan Rough Riders Canadian receiver Braden Lenius signed with the Atlanta Falcons. What role do you see him having with the Dirty Birds? Well, that's a great question because for those who followed Lenius in college, you know, he, he he's 6'5", he, he's, he's a big-bodied dude. He played wide out at the University of Washington at, you know, 220, 225 pounds. He then transferred to New Mexico where they wanted him to play kind of a tight end H-back role where he put on about 20 pounds. Now, after he got drafted in 2019 by Saskatchewan, he goes to the Riders, plays kind of an H-back hybrid role. At again, that same weight, about 245 pounds. And then he lost a bunch of weight through COVID, played slot back in 2021, had a great year. So he worked out with four different NFL teams. I believe he got at least three offers, which is amazing. Uh, but teams see him in different ways. Some teams saw him as that that wide out right at 6'5", 225. Some teams want him to put on some weight and play more of a tight end H-back role. I believe that the Atlanta Falcons are the latter. I think they wanted to put on some weight and play tight end there, uh, which is pretty amazing because that means he's going to be in the same room as Kyle Pitts, the phenom from Florida who was a first-round pick in 2021. Um, so Braden Lenius, well done. He, he goes the CFL route, plays in Saskatchewan for two seasons over three years, including the cancel 2020 campaign, but good for him. I wish him all the best in Atlanta. I hope he does great things there. The potential key here for Lenius and DeAndre Alford as well, who also signed there, the outstanding CFL All-Star defensive back from the Bombers, is that Terry Fontenot, the GM of the Falcons, was in New Orleans for a number of years. He was our director of pro scouting and then their assistant general manager. And if you remember, the Saints brought in a decent amount of CFL players. Delvin Bro would be top among them. Eric Harris, who's still in the NFL, is another guy. Adam Big Hill was there. So Wint McManus would be another one. So what I'm getting at is that it's more meaningful that Lenius is going to the Falcons because of that reason. I think he'll get a better opportunity there because Fontenot has a history in New Orleans of bringing in these former CFL players and giving them a legit opportunity to make the roster and be impactful. So I think that's a real key here for Lenius. And it's clear to me, Hodge, that Lenius wants the opportunity to play receiver, right? He slimmed down his body type. He did that on purpose. So I think if he's going to the Falcons, and you mentioned it, he can line up out there potentially. He's got to make the roster and go through training camp and do all that stuff. But with Kyle Pitts, who's already one of the best tight ends in the NFL anyway. So the Falcons need help at receiver. So in my mind, Fontenot's presence really gives Lenius and Alford a better opportunity to make an impact in Atlanta. Well, and he did get a signing bonus slash guaranteed money package. So obviously the Falcons aren't just bringing him in for laughs. Does that mean he'll make the team? No. Like he could still get cut even after getting some guaranteed money. But, you know, even in the NFL, they're not going to just give you something to give you something. They'll only give you something if they really think there's a chance of you making the team. So good for Lenius. I wish him all the best. Dunkster, we talked at length last episode on Wednesday of last week about how Edmonton's new offensive coaching staff, who had Nick Arbuckle in Toronto, refused to provide comment on on him during their media availability, introducing them to Edmonton staff. Then all of a sudden the Elks reworked Arbuckle's deal to give him a hundred grand up front. Does this mean that he is Edmonton's starting quarterback after all? Well, 
Chris Jones isn't going to come out and name a starter until he absolutely has to. We've known that from his time in Saskatchewan. Edmonton, it was obvious when he was there before because Michael Riley was a franchise guy. But this gives Arbuckle a better shot. That said, if somebody that Jones brings in outplays him, then Jones will have no issue putting him in there. What this does essentially, in my mind, is gives Arbuckle some certainty, right? Because he even admitted that he got some reassurance from signing this rework deal that he was at least in the plans there. So he's probably going to be on the Elks roster unless a trade happens for the 2022 season. In my mind, if you look at probably what went on behind the scenes based on people I've talked to, Chris Jones is looking around at the quarterback landscape going, all right, what are the chances that I get some of these guys, right? Oh, Jake Mary signs. But Levi Mitchell redoes his contract, stays in Calgary. Then he looks at the situation overall and he's thinking, well, we're not sure yet if Michael Riley's going to play in 2022 or what the deal is there. And he's going to have to give up assets to get him because Riley's under contract with the Lions in 2022. And then really, outside of Trevor Harris, who I've heard Jones is not necessarily a big fan of, you have the two quarterbacks that are pending free agents in Hamilton, Dane Evans and Jeremiah Masoli. So in this way, Jones takes himself out of that potential equation of having to get into a bidding war, let's say with Ottawa, for whichever quarterback the Tiger Cats decide against not having on their team. So if Hamilton picks Dane Evans and Jeremiah Masoli is going to go down the road to Ottawa, but Edmonton is sitting there without somebody guaranteed then they have to get into that bidding war. So in my mind, that's kind of what happened here. Jones looked around at the landscape, thought, well, I can give Arbuckle this money up front. And if worse comes to worse, he could be part of a packaged deal to be a backup elsewhere or to get Jones, potentially the quarterback that he would really cover. He wants a veteran, experienced guy. Riley would obviously fit that bill, but we need to see if he's going to play in 2022. Yeah, the reason I was surprised this happened was, you know, from what you mentioned on the podcast last week, Jones seems to be a fan of Taylor Cornelius. So you don't want to lose Cornelius. He's set to make the league minimum, right? He's set to make next to nothing in 2022. So I guess this means with the two quarterbacks on the roster, I mean, and it's entirely possible that in the new CBA, the CFL will go back to three quarterback spots. But I suppose worst case scenario in Edmonton, Nick Gargbuckle is the backup and Taylor Cornelius is the healthy scratch, just as the Riders did with Paxton Lynch just about every week this past year. So I'm interested to see. And for the record, I think Nick Arbuckle could be very successful in Stephen McAdoo's offense. Um, you know, we, we've seen Chris Jones-led teams be very successful in the past with a high-flying, you know, playmaking defense, making turnover, or forcing turnovers all over the field, and a more conservative offensive style, which might be a little better suited to Nick Arbuckle. Um, but but I'm, anyways, this this just came out of the blue for me, especially considering that Stephen McAdoo refused to give any vote of confidence to Nick Arbuckle, even after having him in, in Toronto for a full year. But hey, good for Nick, good for the Elks. Yeah, the Elks at least have two quarterbacks that they know that they have either some familiarity with in Arbuckle or that they like in Cornelius, signed under contract for 2022, right? Whatever happens outside of that, is all potential, right? So they get something that is cemented here that they know they got two guys 
who have you know a little bit level different levels of experience in the league, but at least have them there. And there are some people that point out and said, you know, Arbuckle was successful in Calgary under sort of a sim- similar situation when Bolivar Mitchell was hurt in 2019, where that defense played at a high level, and he completed a decently high completion rate in terms of his passes, wasn't spectacular, but could run the offense. So if you're Jones, you know you have certainty right now, and that could always change. Like There was somebody that said to me, well, maybe Arbuckle will be part of a trade package down the line. That's obviously speculation, but the fact remains the Elks lock in two quarterbacks for relatively cheap. You mentioned it, Cornelius on a bargain salary, base minimum contract, like $65,000. So to give Arbuckle $100,000 doesn't really necessarily seem like it's that far-fetched for it to happen. Former Edmonton Elk, Jacob Ruby, who was cut by the team after misrepresenting his vaccination status, signed a two-year deal with the Ottawa Red Blacks. Is it reasonable that Ruby has been allowed back in the league? I I think it is. Um, I, I will be honest, I was a little bit turned off Last season, when Ruby waited six weeks to apologize publicly for misrepresenting his vaccination status, to me, you know, if you're genuinely sorry for doing something, you should have that mea culpa happen immediately. And when you wait six weeks, it, it, and this is my speculation, but, you know, to me, it came across as, okay, I'm doing this to get back into the CFL. Uh, but with that being said, I mean, Ruby lost out on a bunch of money in 2021 not being on the roster in Edmonton for the majority of that season he was forced to move his family across the country and he has admitted his mistake and now apologized so yes I think it's good that he's back in the league it's reasonable that he's back in the league he is now vaccinated um, he mentioned that in his availability and as well on 12 uh, 1200 radio TSN in Ottawa so uh, I mean yes I think it's reasonable he's back and honestly also say this, it's a good signing for Ottawa because they really needed to up the talent on their offensive line heading into 2022. That they certainly did, especially among their Canadian talent. I think even overall, though, Hodge, they got to get better at American tackle if that's the way they're going to go there. But in my mind, I think you have the opportunity here where Ruby admits his mistake and is allowed back in the league. It's much different different obviously than the domestic violence policy that the league has or something like that and obviously vaccinations are a hot button topic right now but the fact that ruby is now vaccinated and has admitted everything just wants to move past it and i think we owe him that much that now he's moving on from that situation he's with a new team and the red blacks are sure happy to have him because he could potentially help this offensive line get rebuilt quickly under new general manager Sean Burke. Yeah, I don't think he single-handedly solves any issues there, but he certainly will help as part of a bigger package along that O-line. So, hey, I'm a believer in second chances. Yes, I think it's reasonable that Ruby is back. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, it'll be time for Hodges Heritage Moment. Welcome back. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. Today, Dunkster, we're only going back 
one calendar year. On this day in 2021, Bruce Bennett passed away at the age of 77. The six-time West Division All-Star played seven seasons with the Saskatchewan Roughriders, winning a Grey Cup as a rookie in 1966. The Florida product had 35 interceptions from his spot in the secondary, returning two for touchdowns. Bennett also saw spot duty at quarterback, completing eight of 17 career pass attempts for 39 yards, one touchdown, and two picks. Dunkster, it has been, as we're going to talk about during the three-minute drill, a really rough week for us saying goodbye to CFL and Canadian football legends alike gone too soon. It has been, man. Prayers up to those who have passed on and made this league partly what it is, right? They have some strong legacies in terms of those guys that have now been, let's say, called legends because they are no longer with us, but they'll still be remembered for a long time. And we also want to take an opportunity to thank our sponsors, Jiffy Lube. It is the middle of winter. My goodness, we are finally breaking out of a cold spell in the province of Manitoba. Please take your vehicle to Jiffy Lube. If it's not already winterized, it's not too late. They'll get you in. They'll get you out in a Jiffy. They'll do great work. Check, uh, check out Jiffy Lube and trust the good folks there. Tell them that 3 Down Nation sent you. Yes, sir. Well said, Mr. Hodge. It's now time for the three-minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. Canadian defensive lineman and linebacker Jesse Lucetta has received an invite to the 2022 NFL Combine. Between that and a senior bowl invitation, you've got to think he's got a decent shot of being drafted, no? Yeah, those are two telltale signs, man, that he's going to be a surefire NFL draft pick. Anything can happen, as we've seen in the years with the NFL draft, but I would bet that he's going to be picked. Canadian offensive lineman Drew Desjardins has now worked out for four NFL teams with more coming up. Think he'll sign south of the border? I do. You don't have to be six foot seven to play offensive line in the NFL anymore. Desjardins is big enough. He's athletic enough. I think he's a good fit for a run-heavy offense south of the border. Henry Burris says that he wants to be an NFL head coach someday. Think that'll happen? Man, it is a long climb to get there from where Burris is right now, considering that Matt Nagy, the head coach he was with in Chicago, just got fired. You have to wonder about Burris' coaching future potentially in the NFL. It's certainly possible, but there's a lot of work in front of him. You've got to set goals, and you might as well aim for the stars and shoot high and do all those kinds of things. Chris Jones felt like Burris could get there. But there's going to have to be some work. And I think it's definitely possible as much as some people might snicker and laugh, man. you got to have confidence in yourself. So go hang. Anthony Calvillo is back in Montreal as their new quarterback's coach. Is that a good fit? Well, it wasn't the first time, but Calvillo did say he's changed. He's gotten better as a coach. I'm excited to see what he does with his second shot there. Dunkster, as mentioned, we've lost a number of greats this week, including legendary Western head coach Larry Haler, Pro Football Hall of Fame receiver Don Maynard, who was also a member of the Ticats back in the day, and Canadian Football Hall of Fame defensive back and kicker Don Sutherland. Gone too soon. Yes, sir. Prayers out to them and their family. You reported that Ottawa Red Blacks 
have added free agent NFL quarterback Kenji Bahar to their neg list. Good addition, or what do you think? I mean, I, I think it's a good addition because, honestly, the quarterbacking in Ottawa can't get worse, right? What What's the harm? You neg him, hopefully he shows up. Odell Willis slammed former Elks GM Brock Sunderland on TSN 1260, saying that he got the keys to a Maybach and turned it into a Hyundai. Is that fair to say? <laughs> I ain't going to argue with Odell Willis, all right? He's like the mayor of Edmonton now because he's based in that city. And if he said it, considering all the connections he has with the players and stuff there, and he's a former Edmonton football team player as well, man. I'll take him at his word. Former CFL running back Jerome Messam pleaded guilty to voyeurism charges in Calgary. Your thoughts? Well, according to the Canadian press, the sentencing uh, hearing is going to take place in March. So we'll know at that point what the punishment for Mr. Messam will be. Finally, last one, Dunkster. As teased on last week's show, Jeff Reinbold has officially joined the Owls as their special teams coordinator. Is that a good fit? Oh, it really could be Mario, Super Mario Alford there in Reinbold's return schemes. Could be even more dangerous. I'm excited to see it. We thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. He's Justin Dunk. I'm John Hodge. We'll see you next Wednesday for another episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.